Well, it's good to be with you all this um, beautiful and cool morning. Uh, as many of you know, here at Vox, we do value diverse voices giving our homily. And this morning, we're excited to have one of our own members uh, preach for the first time here at Vox, um, Naomi Jackson, uh, who's been an active member of our community for a while now, um, and probably one of our most dedicated bikers. I think she rides her bike everywhere to get around town, which I really appreciate about her. Uh, she's been on our prayer writing team, uh, and we've really appreciated her voice in our liturgy prayers. Uh, and this morning, we're grateful that she'll be opening up the scriptures with us today. So welcome, Naomi. Thank you, Waylon, for that introduction. Um, and thank you for allowing me to open the scriptures this morning and to get to share a few pieces of my own story with that. Um, Vox has been such a place of healing and restoration for me over the past six years, and so I am grateful to get a chance to give back in this way. Um, quick disclaimer, um, I do have a background, an academic background in biblical and theological studies, and so um, I say that to posture myself, uh, firstly as a student of this, um, something that I'm deeply passionate about, but am absolutely not an expert in. But I do have a habit of slipping into technical language. So I do want to kind of give a warning on that in case I tend to go in that way. Um, one of the things I appreciate most about Vox is that we have a practice of reflection around the homily piece. And so this morning, I would like to invite us into that practice as well and invite us to reflect upon the idea of restoration and what that means for you in particular. And as, as you think about that, as you think about what comes up when you hear the word restoration, I also invite you to consider where it comes up for you in your body. Is it something that comes to your mind that's uh, flooded with cerebral thought? Is it something that's deeply connected to your heart and to emotions? Or is it something that comes from deeper within your body and is being pulled out from your gut? So take the next 30 seconds or so um, to feel free to respond in the chat. What comes up for you when you hear the word restoration? So this morning, I'm coming to you from beautiful Denver, Colorado, uh, where I'm actually spending time with my best friend of over 30 years. And so here on this third week of Easter, we find our gospel passage in Luke 24, 36 through 48. And Jesus is actually having a similar reunion with his friends. So we'll begin in, thir in verse 36. While they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. And they were startled and terrified, and they thought they were seeing a ghost. And he said to them, why are you frightened? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. So we meet Christ as he appears to his disciples. We've just left him as he joined the couple on the road to Emmaus. And earlier that same day, the apostles had discovered the empty tomb, but did not understand what was happening. And despite this greeting of peace, 
Jesus's first reunion with his friends is a shocking one. So much so that to them, it is far more plausible that he is a ghost or an apparition. Jesus shows them his hands and his feet, and he invites his friends to touch him and feel his body. For what kind of disembodied spirit appears in flesh and blood? Moreover, what kind of ghost still bears the marks of their death? While preparing for this sermon, I kind of amused myself by thinking of if this passage were an episode of the sitcom Friends, that it would be titled, The One Where Jesus Has to Convince His Friends He's Not a Ghost, which seems outlandish and zany for even a 90s sitcom plot, but it is where we find ourselves. And as I pondered these verses and thought about what this meant, what resurrection meant with death, I wonder why go through the trouble of resurrection only to keep the receipts? And in some sense, it does seem a little obvious in this context that having the receipt of death is very convenient proof. Jesus is saying, hey, I really died. And here's the evidence. But the wounds, the stigmata, is only a convenient plot device if there is something more, something that points to the bigger story of who God is. And I don't think most of us will really ever experience those literal marks of death that Christ had. But I think most, if not all of us, can attest to the scars that we do bear. And so you see, for me, the process of uncovering wounds and uncovering scars is one that I'm very familiar with. So this phenomenon that's known as the stigmata, this usually refers to a spontaneous occurrence of the wounds congruent to where Christ had them on his body, on his hands and feet. But significantly, the word stigmata is where we get our English word for stigma. And that is a word that is much more familiar to us. You see, there are some wounds that we all carry, and some are very physical, and some are obvious, but most of them aren't. Most of them are the invisible kind, the kind that come with a stigma. And I think those are the kind that God really loves to work in. The lame, the blind, the lepers, the outcast. That is the type of God who he is. He works in the imperfect and he works in the pain and those little memories of death that are embedded within us. In just a few chapters before this, Jesus is talking to the disciples of John the Baptist and he says to them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have good news preached to them, and blessed is the one who is not offended by me. God works in the wounds that separate us from one another. I think about what story these marks tell us. And most of us will never carry the stigma of being marked for death as Christ did, but that does still happen. But we all carry scars, visible and invisible. 
I think about the marks of childhood accidents, but I think more about the mistakes that have changed lives. And I think a lot about the marks of words that I wish I could take back. For myself, death and loneliness and grief have shaped my journey in particular and in profound ways. There's always been these haunting, heavy feelings, and they were the ones I earnestly try to keep at bay. And for years, I've always felt like disappointment kind of followed me, and I couldn't necessarily explain why. Because if I was doing the right things, if I was moving ahead in my life as I thought I should be, if I was pushing forward in my career, in my goals, and in my relationships, and if I was actively pursuing God and pursuing truth, then why did the sting of disappointment burn so hard when things came back around? I've often wondered about this in the life of my family, a group of people who genuinely love each other, but struggle with a fractured nature. I've thought about it in the disappointment that I've experienced with friendships and relationships that just didn't turn out as I'd hoped they would. And mostly in disappointment in my own self, that like I said, try as I might to push things forward on my own, that sometimes the satisfaction of genuine happiness just seemed a little bit out of grasp. And the irony of this is that after years of trying to push through, push forward one thing at a time, this past year in the pandemic, I couldn't push through. I had to stop and spend a year alone with it. But I'll get into, I'll get into more of that later. So I ask again, why go through the trouble? What does it mean to see Christ in full glory, the firstborn of the resurrection, still bearing the marks of death of a state-sanctioned execution? Here in Christ, we find the contrasting ideas of death and resurrection. And here they're equally relevant and equally real. And somehow now in this reunion with his friends, they're mystically connected. And if that is a strange concept, don't worry. We're in good company with the disciples. Over the years, as I've worked through therapy and the pain and disappointment in my own life, and I've seen the wounds heal, but the scars stand as a reminder that the story of restoration in the scripture has two parts. God often reminds his people that they were once slaves, but now they are free. And just as earlier in Luke, they said the lepers were healed, the lame walk, the deaf hear. And I think this is perfectly articulated by John Newton in the hymn, Amazing Grace. I once was blind, but now I see. I think it's such a special and peculiar thing that we worship a God who is divine and yet experienced death. A God who was fully and completely human and resurrected. So as Jesus is reunited with his friends, he wants them to know that not only was his death real and legitimate, but so is his resurrection. 
So I would invite us this morning to consider not simply our wounds, the visible and the invisible ones, but I would invite us to consider the duality of the marks of death that we see in ourselves. And I ask, how do you experience them? But also, how have they been transformed? I think in this way, we're given an invitation to be in community with Christ. Let's move on to Luke now in verse 41. While in their joy, they were disbelieving and still wondering. And he said to them, have you anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took and ate in their presence. So in Christology, the fundamental teaching around Christ and Jesus is that he is both fully human and fully divine all at the same time, the God-man. And it does boggle the mind a little to think that this encounter with a resurrected Jesus is still human. And and for myself growing up, this teaching uh, was taught. I, you know, I knew that God, uh, I knew that Christ was both fully God and fully man. But usually the divine part of Christ was emphasized a little bit more. And if there's one thing I love about this text, and, and, and I'll say it's one of my favorite things as I read through the Gospels, I love being reminded that Jesus was just a real dude with real friends. And as his disciples were shaking off the dust of fear and shock, they're just beginning to realize that their friend and rabbi who was dead has now manifested in full corporeal form. And naturally, he asked them for something to eat and they give him a piece of fish. And and I can't help but think, you know, if, if the man hadn't eaten in the past three days, I would be hungry too. But truthfully, if there's any doubt left in their minds, this should quell it. Because in eating, Christ is actually being restored to his own community. And yes, he is proving a point because have you ever seen a ghost eat? No. But I'm reminded of Christ's humanity in this section because I don't think there's anything more human than hunger. I don't think there's anything more self-revealing than hunger. We learn who we truly are when we feel hungry or deprived. And I get such a kick out of the idea that freshly resurrected Jesus is hungry, just like anybody else would be. But I'm struck by the bigger indication behind this. This this is a a celebration of joy and being restored to community. And there's a reason that in both the Jewish and the Christian calendars, we revolve around feast days. It's a core and fundamental practice for the people of God. Eating and eating together is important. And for Christ, this is indeed a demonstration that should confirm to his friends, once and for all, he is alive. And in achieving that, he's restored to them. And they can now finally be restored to him and start to begin to to understand the meaning of this profound mystery. 
I can't help but think and reflect on the past year and what it has felt like to lose this sense of community around eating. It reminds me of a scene from the play based off the diary of Anne Frank. As the families are secretly hiding in this attic, they attempt to celebrate Hanukkah, but they can't be too loud for fear of being discovered. So they have to sing their Hanukkah song very, very softly. That simple joy of eating and feasting together is no longer simple. There's something that is uniquely connective about community and eating. And I think about this in the context of our community quite a bit. Think about what this means as as we ease through this pandemic and what it might look like after we we start to come back together. And I wonder if, if we might have similar encounters like this reunion in chapter 24 where we begin to see each other for the first time in over a year and being overcome maybe with similar feelings of shock and awe and, oh my gosh, is it really you? Taking in that sense that you are real and there and you're being reconnected. Sitting and eating together, it restores us to a normal and it restores us to our community. And it's also being being restored to a former sense of community that puts his disciples at ease and carries peace through this encounter. And much in the same way, we are and will be doing this same work in concert with Christ. Something I want to name is that most of us aren't the same people that we were a year ago. While it is still us, There has been a shift and there has been a change. I'm a natural introvert. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I think I took to the shelter in place and the virtual meeting format just a little too comfortably. And during the first month, I would often joke that I'm not coming back from this pandemic because I'm like, I think I like this a little bit too much. And in a sense, that is very true. You know, I'm not the same person who I was a year ago. I'm not the same Naomi and neither are you the same you. So the question that I would invite us to consider is how do you need to reintroduce yourself? In the same way, we're not the same community that we were a year ago. In a bigger sense, we are in the work and in the process of reintroducing ourselves. But in doing so, like Christ with his friends, we are being restored to the bigger community that holds us close and holds us dear. I do find it comforting in the fact that this passage, this is a wonderful climax to the story of resurrection. That when all is said and done, not only is death defeated. Not only are we restored to Christ and to his body, but we are being restored to our own friends and family and to the ones that love us most. So I invite us to take some time to think about your own resurrection and how as we begin to move towards a post-pandemic new normalcy, how might you reintroduce yourself? We'll move on to Luke 44. 
And he said them, he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I love that we see now Jesus pulling it all together for them. In this moment of shock and awe, now they can finally see, start to see the bigger picture. You see, resurrection has always been the pattern of God's movement through time and space. And Jesus starts to explain to his friends the pieces of this bigger picture. And he he refers to what has been written about him and what must be fulfilled. And I was going through some of these passages. One that stuck out to me is from Isaiah. Isaiah 61.1. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. I've always thought that God has had an ironic sense of humor. And to think that we start the passage with Jesus revealing his wounds from a criminal execution, and then We hear the echo of the prophets from the background proclaiming, I have come to set the captives free. This resurrection is not just a self-contained resurrection, but it's more like a redemptive glitter bomb that moves outward in all directions. Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I think trying to witness the movement of God was a significant challenge for me last year. And I'll be honest, I spent a lot of time wondering where exactly God was in all of this. In a pandemic that left over 500,000 people dead in the U.S., in protests over police brutality and surging racial violence, and in a vitriolic election that escalated to the point of violence. In in the four short months of 2021, I found my own life being pushed out in a way that I never expected. After months, months of slowness and seeing the lives of the friends and people around me moving, but mine remaining still, this year, I suddenly found that things started to speed up unexpectedly. So a couple of months ago, we experienced a harrowing winter storm that left many of us without water and power. And in my own my own neighborhood in North Shoal Creek, I was in a 10-day stretch without any running water 
And this was a very difficult time to navigate and to work in survival mode. And on the heels of that, my dear quarantine cat companion, my, my, my wonderful Svetlana, who was just a month shy of her 17th birthday, was showing signs of deteriorating health. And so on the heels of one tragedy, I made the heartbreaking decision to let her go. In that moment, that moment of death, there was a familiarness and in a weird way, even a comforting feeling. The wounds that emerged on my hands and feet were that of those old friends of loss and loneliness and disappointment. In the final days of her life, I spent as much time as I could with Lana, holding her and just thanking her for staying by my side for seven wonderful years and for staying by my side every single day while we were quarantining through the pandemic. And after saying goodbye, I started calling my friends and booking plane tickets. And I can't fully explain what I knew because it wasn't coming from my head. It was coming from somewhere else in my body that I was being pulled out and I was being pushed on and I knew I needed to keep moving. And more importantly, I needed to start moving towards love, towards community, towards wholeness and restoration. The marks of death are always there, but they're not the full story. The marks of death just prove that death is real, but life to move, that is what proves resurrection. So I want to end my time with you this morning with a, uh, with a scene or a quote. I, I don't have a quote from Richard Rohr or, or Patrick Atama to leave you with. No, I am going to leave you with my favorite prophet, and that is Star Trek. <clears throat> More specifically, it is uh, from the J.J. Abrams 2009 reboot of Star Trek. There's a scene that I always come back to that puts into that always puts in perspective how I experience God and his movement into this world. So in the third act of the movie, Captain Kirk and Spock Prime encounter a disgraced Lieutenant Montgomery Scott, who's been assigned to a remote Starfleet outpost on the ice planet Delta Vega. In this quick scene, there's a blink and you'll miss it kind of moment that's really just there as a plot device to get the characters from one location to another. And Spock Prime knows that Scotty is capable of proving his theory of transwarp beaming, which is very convenient because that's what they need to get back onto the Enterprise. But Scotty is protesting. You see, he's been working on this theory for years, and he explains just how improbable this feat is. And he says, <clears throat> the notion of transwarp beaming is like trying to hit a bullet with a smaller bullet whilst wearing a blindfold and riding a horse. And then he looks at the screen and goes, what's that? And Spock says to him, that is your equation for retrieving trans, trans warp beaming. And Scotty looks at it and he gasps and he goes, 
imagine that. It never occurred to me to think of space as the thing that was moving. It never occurred to me to think of God as the thing that was moving. And Box, if there's anything I want to leave you with this morning, it is that God has been and is moving into this world and that that has always been the pattern. To seek holiness and wholeness on our own, it feels precisely like Scotty described, like trying to hit a bullet with a smaller bullet, blindfolded, riding a horse. It, it is statistically impossible. And I say this to invite a collective sigh of relief that, in fact, the goal isn't holiness. The goal is resurrection. Box, where do you need this movement of resurrection? In your body, in your community, in this world? Rest assured, it is here. It is coming into this world. Christ is the firstborn of the resurrection, and death is no more than a tattoo left on living flesh. May we find ourselves reacting with amazement, wonder, and joy. May we respond by eating and drinking and pulling the seams of our community together. People of God, you are witnesses to all of these things, not because of what we have done, but because of what God has.